Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bodrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to be part of our real estate family and learn commercial real estate investing from A to Z. I'll be sharing with you tips for real estate investing while being mentored by a few people with several years of experience so that you and I can make the least amount of mistakes as possible and succeed a lot faster. My goal is to keep things very straightforward because I value your time and you are here to learn. With that, in the last episode, we learned a few bullet points on how you could potentially lose 50% of the value of your property in one downturn. And in this episode, we have a truly incredible guest. She went from being in welfare to being a multi-millionaire real estate investor. Her story is mind-boggling. We are interviewing Heather Self. She is an Amazon number one best-selling author and she is also the co-founder of New Hope Senior Living. She has been investing in real estate full-time since 2009 and has done wholesaling, fix and flips, rental properties, vacation homes, and private lending. Here we go. Heather, I am so excited to have you here today. First, because you are my first woman as a guest after Yay! 30 episodes. <laughs> Your story is the most humbling, amazing story ever. And I am so excited that you are here to share with our audience how you started from zero or maybe negative. <laughs> and I'll let you <laughs> give all the juicy details. But why don't we get started with how you got in real estate, what was going on in your life, where you came from, and we'll just see where this goes. Thanks again so much for having me. This is going to be so much fun. So to make a long story short, otherwise we'll be on here for three weeks, I'll start just by saying I got married directly out of high school. My first husband and I had our daughter and I found out a bunch of things going on. So I found out my husband was using drugs and I, I just made the distinction like, okay, my kids are not going to be raised like this, not the lifestyle and things that I want them to know and be privy to. It all came to a head at one time where I found this information out. I also got an eviction notice on my apartment door. Keep in mind, I'm 18, 19 at the time. My car was repossessed. I ended up with a great job as a marketing director at a very young age and found out my husband had robbed my boss at the time. And so I ended up losing that job. Within a 48-hour period, I had lost my job, my car, my apartment, and found out that my husband was on drugs and I was pregnant with my second child. Wow. So now, as I say, I can look at 
my calendar. And if it looks crazy for 48 hours, I don't worry about it. If I can handle all that in 48 hours, I can do anything. <laughs> you can and more. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, um, I, wonderful, wonderful supportive family. And they were like, of course, you know, come move back in. And that was amazing. And I was able to take that time and rebuild myself and really start to figure out what I wanted out of life. And when I found out I was pregnant, of course, then it's really difficult finding a job. What do you do? And you're in the middle of all this turmoil, right? I basically got to the point where I didn't see any other way out, but then to go and receive welfare benefits. I had to get on food stamps and they started offering some classes in the Welfare Reform Act. This is back in the 90s, so not to give away my age here, but back in the late 90s, they were offering these classes they called Fresh Start classes. In order to receive the benefit of $185 a month, which is what welfare is, a lot of people think, oh, people are just milking the system and getting rich off of welfare. Let me tell you, for two children, it's $185 a month, or was at the time. The positive with that, though, is they were offering these classes. I couldn't work at the time, so what better way to take time off and go, okay, now I can get a different perspective, maybe get a paradigm shift. I needed to get from that point in my life out of that because I knew that's not how I wanted to raise my family. The classes were on financial management, parenting, self-advocacy, assertiveness, basically workforce essentials, how to do resumes, how to interview, how to present yourself. And they taught all these really amazing classes. And I learned from that so much because it was that paradigm shift. It wasn't long after that I'd given birth to my son. So I went the entire time I was pregnant. I got more and more familiar with the purpose and why people were doing this and why the classes were so important. And they ended up offering me a job to teach the classes. So that was the first big transition into that. And then from that, I filled out an application for Habitat for Humanity wonderful, wonderful charity. They offer affordable housing, which is such a needed thing in this world, right? Mm -hmm. That's such a complication when you're already coming from behind the eight ball, trying to offer a safe place for your children to live and grow up and where you can work and grow. And it probably year and a half, two years later, I kind of forgotten about it. And I got a phone call and they were like, hey, we want to offer you the opportunity to purchase our next home. That was the first time I think that I had really felt gratitude on such an elevated level. Did you need a down payment for that at the time? You do need a down payment. You have to have very reasonable credit, which is all something I was working to fix. I had already made up the mindset that I don't want to be that person that depends on somebody else for my independence or for my children's future or what I'm going to be able to offer. That was the first time I said, okay, this is my responsibility and my responsibility alone to get out here and make this happen. You have to have a job for a good amount of time. You have to have decent credit. You have to have a down payment and you still make mortgage payments. It's not a free house. That's a big common misconception. It is something you have to qualify for and very few people qualify for that. I mean, you've already had to make it through a lot of obstacles before you can qualify for that. In the summer of 2001, we started building and we moved in shortly after going through that process and going, wow, all these choices that I feel that were kind of stripped away, I now had control over. 
And that's what that program is able to do. And that's why I'm a contributor and a donor to it now. And it's it's very important to my life's work and what I want to do. And do you think you would have been able to do that and also what you're going to share next if you were still married with that first person and nothing had happened? 100% no. There's absolutely no way because we were on different trajectories, right? What he was going through in his life was very different than what I wanted my outcome to be. So where did that fire come from? If you didn't have it when you were married and with your first baby, where did you pull <laughs> that out of in that situation? You know, I think I had some of it. It was just deeper down, right? Like sometimes things have to boil to come to the surface, so sure. to speak. And and I think they come out when you're at that pivotal moment in your life where the pain of staying the same is greater than the fear of change. And I think it was one of those moments as scared as I was as like literally going, I'm walking away from everything and I'm putting myself in a situation where I was essentially homeless at that point, but I was willing to take that chance. If I had to be homeless in order to get me to the next level, I was willing to do that. The other passion point we were you were asking about was just getting the keys to that house and going, okay, you do have choices. You are in control. You have a foundation now. As I kept holding on to that fire, that feeling that I've got to do better, I've got to do more. I've got to make all of these situations that I have gone through matter. I do know that if it does happen, we have the choice as women, as men, as humans, children, whatever, to go, okay. I don't know why this happened, but I have to make it matter. It can't be for no reason. How did you move from there to becoming a real estate investor? At some points, I'm a really slow learner and other things I'm really quick at. But uh, with uh, picking men at the time, I was a very slow learner. <laughs> so a couple years in, I got married again, had two more children. We're together about eight years. Eight years seems to be my limit for about everything that I do. That's as long as I'm willing to do something, I think, that I switch it all up, right? Thought I was happy, but I wasn't really fulfilled. I was like, there has to be more. I was doing some consulting on the side. I'm doing some marketing on the side, but it really wasn't fulfilling. I got to spend a lot of time with the kids, which was great. But at some point, they get to the age where they just don't need you as much as they used to. We had a home invasion, which I wrote in the book, Don't Quit, Stories of Persistence, Courage, and Faith, that just launched last month in September. And I just thought, you know, if I could help one person going through any similar situation, I had to do that. So you go through this, you stare death in the face. In this situation, there was three military-grade assault rifles pointing at mine and my daughter's head. I have my two younger children in the bath. At the same point, you're thinking as a mom, this is how I die. I have to protect what my child is seeing from this. And then on the other hand, I was like, my wow. other two children are going to drown. And what happens after they shoot me? What's going to happen to them? What's going to, you know, all of these million thoughts go through your head when you're in a situation like that. Right in the middle of everything, we had a car pull into our driveway and it was a gravel driveway. So you could hear the tires rolling over the rocks. And once I heard that, they just ran out the back door. It's everything we go through, right? It, it leaves wounds, it leaves scars. I think when something like that happens in the one place that you're supposed to feel safe, when that's taken away from you, it's devastating. There's no place you can go to feel safe anymore. So at this point, I was like, okay. I have two choices here. 
I can either choose to be a victim and give away my control yet again, or I can take the bull by the horns and create my own reality. I chose the latter. I went to the community. I started the first neighborhood watch in our area. Any real estate investor knows that a C-class neighborhood, there is one house that's selling crack. So we had one of those houses going up against them, which were kitty corner, like almost in my backyard. It was danger in itself. And I was approached a couple times, like I better really think about what I'm doing. And it was very threatening and a very scary thing to do, but I was already a victim. I wasn't going to stay that way. I was a survivor. I had to keep that mindset and continue to fight it. So we got that formed. Crime dropped significantly. You know, I still got threats here and there, but it was less and less because I got more and more people within the neighborhood willing to stand up and go, Mm -hmm. no, we're not going to tolerate this anymore. Then you just get this confidence, this power. And it was enough to go, okay, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore because he was, you know, a little bit controlling, didn't want me to work, didn't want me to do anything. And he was very upset about me doing the neighborhood watch. And I was like, who are you to say what I can be involved in? Right. So that led me to the next process. going through that divorce. Then I took three years off. I was like, man, I just kept coming back to how it felt when I got the keys to that home. How, how do I give other people the power of choices and a safe place to live and, and all of those things. So that became my mission. And I continued to educate I read everything there was to know about real estate, market cycles, macroeconomics, you name it, I studied it. Then I started reaching out to people in the community that had rental properties, and I put together my own very small property management company. And I thought, well, what's a better way to learn, but really just dive into the trenches, right? And by the way, how did you find time to study with four kids at that time and no help in a full-time job? Those were fun times. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say autopilot, but it's almost the exact opposite of that because everything you do is very intentional. You have to decide and make a choice. I'm going to be here for dinner at this time. I am going to have a meeting at this time. I'm going to study at two o'clock in the morning because that's when my kids are asleep. I had two jobs and four kids, but I was always there for dinner. It wasn't easy. I do. I look back now and go, oh my God, how did I do that? But you do what you have to do at the time, right? You don't really analyze how am I going to do this? There's no fear because you have no choice. You jump out of the plane and find your parachute on the way down. If Heather can do it, anyone can do it. (laughs) I had to get to the next level. I remember reading at the time, if you really want to know how to do something, reach out to somebody that's already doing it successfully and talk to them. And I thought, oh gosh, the only people I know are part-time investors. They had their house and then they moved into another house. So then they're now renting their first personal home. So that was really all that the experience with the connections that I had with the little properties I was managing. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to take a break. I'm going to take my mind off of this for a moment. And uh, at the time, it was funny. Facebook was just kind of becoming really popular. You know how when you pull up Facebook and it says, people you may know, you know, and you're like, huh, I don't know if I know them or not, but okay, it says I know you. So let's see if I do. So I clicked on this profile and it just so happens 
under the occupation line, it said that this person was a real estate investor. I reached out and we never stopped talking. Two and a half years later, we were married. We started our first company together in 2010, I believe it was. He had already had some rental properties of his own, but they were bought at the height of the market. So they weren't really cash flowing. They were high maintenance. They were just not a great portfolio. When the bottom fell out 2008 and it was still out for some time, we took all of that time and we started wholesaling because that is the easiest way to build cash without having any money in the deal. You're just assigning paperwork, essentially. You're just okay. assigning the contract. A lot of people ask me, how do you invest in real estate with no money down, no credit, no whatever? That's a great way to do it. That's still effective. It worked 20 years ago. It works now. You got to know your local laws and your local state rules and all of those things. Once you figure that out, you can get in there, find your niche and work it. The profit was about $80,000 in the first quarter. What a great paycheck after all that work. It definitely was for me. 10 years later, I look back and go, you know, maybe 80,000 isn't that much. But you go from food stamps to 80,000 in your first quarter of trying something new. That was pretty significant. We took that. We partnered up with other investors that were doing some private lending. Then we started flipping too. So we were wholesaling, flipping and adding to our rental portfolio all at the same time. So we had multiple exit strategies because that's something we learned. If you just have one strategy, not every house is going to work for that strategy. If you learn multiple strategies, there's always something you can do with the property to intensify either the cash flow or pull the equity out so you can put it into another deal. It was just over five years. We had done over 600 real estate transactions between wholesales, fixed flips, rental properties, and then I added on a couple vacation rentals after that. We really figured out pretty quickly how to leverage each other's skill sets, which I think is so important. There's quite a few husband-wife teams. Most of them don't survive only because most people would rather poke needles into their eyes than spend all day with their husband or all day with their wife, right? We actually enjoy it. We're best friends first business partner second. We just have an amazing time and he has such a different skill set than what I do. He is a spreadsheet king. I would rather crawl naked through glass than sit and do a spreadsheet. I'm with you there as well. So <laughs> <laughs> It's just leveraging that and figuring out who's good at what and how to make that the most effective way that you do it. And that's just not husband wife teams either. That's anybody you put on your team. People ask like, how have you got to this level of success? And really and truly, that's what it all is. It's building the team. You don't have to be good at everything. All you have to do is know that you're not good at it so you can hire somebody that is. And we can't be good at everything anyway. But we're not doing ourselves any favor by trying. It has been five years or is there a little bit more? It's been 10 years now. 10 years. So yeah, that was just in the first five years. <laughs> Love it. If you haven't guessed, I don't do anything small. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> the next five years, we've kind of transitioned. Don't really flip houses anymore. We kind of transitioned more into private lending and helping other investors 
get started and finding the capital they need to do the deals. To me, that's been really fulfilling to be able to guide people through that. But you don't want to start with the investors that are at zero and know nothing. That would just be a huge time sucker. So they have to pass a certain level of experience, but just need more capital to do more deals, right? Go bigger, faster. Now we've kind of switched our model a little bit. We are now in the senior living space. We're doing a beautiful, beautiful project here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. It's called New Hope Senior Living. It's Southern luxury. This house is absolutely amazing. It sits up on a hill. It's on 18 acres. It looks like you're at a golf course. We're really excited to bring that to our community and really help out the elderly population because when it comes to what's available now, not everybody's going to do well in an institution or hospital-like setting. Some people want to still live in a home and still have the family around. And it's really the best of both worlds. It's a really small community. The caretaker ratio is between four and six to one. We can literally pay our caretakers to sit down and play checkers, to have conversations, to talk to the grandkids. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful concept and community. And as far as a real estate investment, there is few things that I've seen. In fact, I haven't seen any that where the cash flow is what it is with assisted living. So it's just an exciting space to be in. We have the baby boomers coming up and very shortly, this will be the first time that the baby boomer population exceeds the child population. I didn't know that. Yeah. So you got all the baby boomers coming up. So we're going to be off kilter and off balance there. And there's going to be a lot of problems that need to be solved. I am so humbled by your story. It is so beautiful. And you are such a strong woman. I'm so happy that I got a chance to meet you and that you are sharing your story with our listeners hopefully to inspire them. And I will never say that I'm too busy for anything after hearing (laughs) your story. (laughs) Anytime I do, I remind myself. (laughs) Exactly. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, I do have a website up, but it's still in the process of getting the kinks worked out. So not quite mobile friendly yet, but on your laptop or PC, you can go to heatherself.com. And I have, it's called 20 Lessons I Learned from Tragedy, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Success and Significance. So I went through that time period and list all the lessons, not all of them, but a great deal of them what I learned from it, what my mindset is on it now. And it's just a short, you get one a week and it's just a little short read, just enough of what you need to kind of get going for the day. What is the best way for people to reach you besides your website? You can email me from there. My personal email is hl self76 at gmail.com. That's a good way to reach me. That's my personal email. And also though, if you go on the website, you can order a free ebook of the book, Don't Quit Stories of Persistence, Courage, and Faith. So all your listeners can get a free book. Which is the best-selling book that you were part of as well. Very exciting project. I think we hit number one in multiple categories, which was very exciting. There's just some amazing, amazing people in that book. Including your amazing story which I literally was almost crying reading through it. Heather, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I cannot wait to see what the next five years will bring you. It's going to be a roller coaster. I can promise you that. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our channel and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested in learning more 
about commercial real estate investing. See you next time.